Hello and welcome to In Lockdown With, a podcast where I, playwright Kieran Fitzgerald, chats to emerging, established and experienced artists in the fields of theatre, film, television, dance and drama, from Wales and beyond, to find out more about their careers and to see how they've been coping during the coronavirus pandemic. Expect laughs, gossip, and an insight into the careers of some of Wales's best-known creatives. If you enjoy this podcast, please like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Thank you. Hello and welcome to this episode of In Lockdown with, with me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Today I'm joined by playwright Alan Harris. Hi Alan, how's things? Oh, uh, good morning Kieran, how are you? Very good, thanks. We were, yeah. just, we, we were just talking about theatres reopening and how things look like they're starting to get back up and running. Um... But yeah, I do sense there's still a bit of uncertainty in terms of how things are going to restart. Um, do you yeah, feel that? Yeah, I've just been in the first time, I, the first time in a year, I've been in a room with kind of other other creatives or other people. Right. Um, and yeah, I've been theatre cloyed. Um, to be fair to them, they kind they kind of they, their protocols are so good. I'm, I'm fairly sure that that will go quite smoothly, you know, but that's, that's my only practical, mm. um, you know, kind of society-wise, yeah, I'm with a clue what's happening. As, as, as we were just talking about, it's such an uncertain time, though, mm. and, I, and I, I feel that kind of anxiety of uncertainty at the moment. I think so, we're on that edge of it could go really well and it could be fantastic for the industry or it could go the other way. So we yeah. just have to see what happens, I guess. Yeah, I think, I think there's an appetite... For theatre, you know what I mean. So I yes. think that's a good thing. You know, I think people do want to go. You know, so yeah, as long as people feel confident they can go, I think that's it's, it's good. And it's up to those companies to make audiences feel comfortable. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Yeah. 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 And you know, you think it's strange, isn't it? Because like they're all those kind of protocols. Um, I, I can't believe. Like last August, without any vaccines or anything, we were eating out. And no, I know. Do you know what I mean? You know, I, 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 it, it seems like, uh, oh yeah, we yeah we did do that. Yeah, that was yeah. That, that was wrong. It, <laughs> it seems mean? crazy. You know, it's it it seems yeah. like okay, you're not going to do anything unless it's, you know, kind of totally safe. So yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, been a, been a weird time. There's always going to be some degree of risk, and I think we have to learn to live with it as much as anything. Yeah, 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 yeah. So the first thing I want to ask you is what I ask everyone um, who comes on this podcast. How did you first get interested in theatre? Um, it was a slow process for me, uh, Kyron. Um, I had no kind of, no kind of, you know, kind of uh, exposure to the arts, if you like, when I was a kid, or not, not hardly any, you know. Um, mm. And um, so it wasn't until kind of quite late on in, in, in kind of you know later on in my life I suppose that I, I kind of started writing for theatre um, and that was kind of you know tentatively at first you know 
um, and then and then kind of um, you know got into it. But as a, as a even as a teenager, you know, I never went to the you know the, the only the only <laughs> recollection I've got of going to the theatre was as a kid. Um, uh, as a family, we went to see Ken Dodd. Right. I always remember that. <laughs> I think we had some pantos, and, but I, and I just remember going on a school trip to see Hamlet. And um, uh, we, we, I think, I, you know, we got drunk on the bus on the way up, and um, you know, I kind of slept all the way through it. I think so. You know, it was probably some mind blowing performance. You know, totally <laughs> missed. Uh, but yeah, no, no real. You know, and it was only, only I, when I was working, uh, um, I just, I, I'd always kind of, kind, I, I, I don't know about you, but I always felt as though I was, I wanted to write things and i didn't know yeah. what that outlet was you know so yeah. i try try different sort of things and you know and then you know kind of back in back in those times there was a a, a kind of easily accessible organization um to send plays to um called um, script cymru um and a friend of mine said oh why don't you know yeah you, you know we're always talking about stories why don't you why don't you write a play so i did you know um <laughs> And I've got, you know, of course, he got rejected. You know, I got loads of those letters. Mm. I should, I should have kept them actually. All those letters, <laughs> saying, you know, thanks very much. Um, we really like your style of writing. However, this is not for us. Um, and that, that, you know, kind of, I, I just, I just plugged away really. I suppose in those days you got an accurate letter rather than an automated email. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, don't, I, might still, I might still have some of them in the in the, um, in the attic because I like you know kind of those first. And I think it must have I must have written about six plays probably and sent right. them off to all the usual kind of places, you know. Um, and I don't know if they still do it now because you know it was like so old royal court and as well as kind of script coming in the kind of Welsh ones and they would send you a letter back eventually. You know, and it's always the same sort of letter. Yeah, so. How did you, how did you kind of learn to deal with that? How do you uh, how do you I learn to like I, deal with the fact that rejection is a big part of the job, really? Yeah, I think I understood that from early on. Uh, I've always been quite optimistic, Kyron, um, and I think that has helped me. Um, I. Don't know. I, 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 rejection kind of affects me as much as and, and criticism. You know, does does affect me as much as anyone probably. But I'm 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 quite good at forgetting it. You know, and and mm. kind of moving on. Um, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do forget it. I think. You know, unless it's particularly harsh. There's only one or two that kind of stayed with mm. me, kind of deep in my vaults. Mm. But yeah, I think I think I'm quite good at just moving on, to be honest. Mm. And it's the same with projects. You know, big projects aren't working. I yeah. don't think you can flog a dead, dead horse. You know, and kind of uh, and moving on. It's it's um, about knowing when to move on, though. I guess. Yeah, yeah, and inevitably, you know, you kind of you you keep hold of things for too long, but you know, kind of there's a limit. To mm. So yeah, yeah, I think I understood. I, I think I understood quite early on that it's a it's also a bit of a numbers game. You know, you have to keep plugging away. You have to have several things on the go at once to have a chance of of getting something made. You know, or, yeah. or at least progressing something. You know, and if you're pinning your hopes all on just one one thing, chances are you're gonna you know you've got to get into the hands of, of that person reading it. Who really loves it, and the chances of finding that person are much smaller 
and that's you know if you've got six projects on the go then you know you can yeah i think you're you're on to better and and did you ever feel that theater was a world that you didn't really fit into that it wasn't for you well kind of i kind of like I'm, i think it's become it has become more dominated by um posh posh uh, people with double barrel names um uh and when to be fair cause when i started like script company which, which was run by simon harris they were a very down-to-earth organization very accessible you know you send them a play and this is how i started i sent them sort of three or four plays and they were very encouraging you know and, it, yeah. and, and you know kind of i did build up a relationship with them only in the fact that someone in the organization saw something in my writing and i didn't have a clue what i was doing you know what i mean not no. not obvious you know um especially kind of structure wise or I think more theme and subject wise, you know. Okay. Um, I really wasn't writing about um, plays about things that I was really interested in, right? And I think eventually, then that kind of sunk in with me. And eventually, I sent them an idea, which they really did like, you know. Um, mm. And they 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 invited me on a residency where I with so there was like five actors, five, uh, half a dozen actors, right? Um, two or three directors and like dozen writers mm. and each day um the actors and the directors would put, would kind of do a reading of what of, of each of the, the the writers plays um each day yeah and mine only got half a day right <laughs> <laughs> and like mine was like friday friday morning i remember that right um and i really felt like an imposter that i, I think that's probably you know it takes it takes you a while to call yourself a writer i think really yeah. does you know um and you know there was no way i'd, I'd call myself a writer at that point you know and i felt i really felt like a fish out of water you know um and i, I remember the um <laughs> so there's quite a bit of drinking going on right <laughs> um and thursday night because i think it was like okay this is kind of our last night uh it was a bit of a big night right and i remember in the morning the uh the actors reading my play you know and you get very nervous it was the first thing i'd heard probably something of mine read out loud ah they were hungover ah man they were they were they were they they you know they had a late night you know and i remember we were five minutes into it and it was a disaster and i remember fair play simon harris saying um yeah we gotta start again sorry you know you got you know this is unfair do you know what i mean and uh, fair play and they 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 realized what was going on and you know and you know we'd have a really nice read of it and that was the play that um, script company eventually picked up, and that was and they commissioned it. You know? oh, so that wow. was that was my you know that that was that, that was the start of it really. And um, how did you start writing? And what's your process? And does it change depending what you're working on? Um, yeah, it, I, it does. The mechanics of it um, stay the sort of same, and of course, then the process does change depending what I'm kind of writing. I started writing, um, as I say, I just kind of started writing kind of um, ideas down, and a friend of mine said to me, well, you know, that sounds like a play. You know, she said, there's this organisation uh, called Script Cymru, send, send them off them. And, you know, that, that's how that kind of started. And that was literally the start of writing. Right. So, um, and I think my process has 
changed and become um I've, I've kind of honed it down a bit i think you know over the last sort of you know kind of 10 years really i think um and i always set out i always set out with you know kind of it's that initial idea and it's it, i think it's true you if you've got that kind of and it's not this it's not as simple as um it's somebody who wants something but can't get it because you know, that kind of exercise, you know, but there's usually that sort of kernel, that kind of little idea to start with, you know, something, something that interests me. And then it's a period of research. Um, I'll research everything about, especially the characters, what's make them, what makes them sort of different, you know, and I'm not yeah. one, you know, I, when I still write, uh, when I still do uh, run writing courses, I still uh, kind of give out this sort of sheet with, um, uh, and uh, I'm sure everyone's gone through this, you know, what what did your character have for breakfast? Yes. How, how, you know, what sort of house do they live in, you know? So I don't I don't go to that extent, though, Mr. May, you know what I mean? But I do mm. think about what makes this character different, what makes him tick, you know? And then, you know, I'll do research around the, the world. And, and then when I've done enough research, and it, it, I don't know about you, I feel as though I have to write something down. And yeah. that might be the scrappiest thing, and it won't be, a, you know, it won't be dialogue or anything, you know. It'll just be ideas on a bit of paper, and then, and writing down is thinking for me definitely. And when I've got something down, I really feel like there's something in my brain, and my brain can kind of work on it. And then I'll keep on going. It might be ten minutes later, it might be the following day, it might be you know a week later. I'll keep on adding to that document until there's a shape of something, you know. And when there's a shape of something, then I think I think right, what is the story here? And from that point on, if I can see a story outline there, then I'll make myself sit down and work through basically bullet points. And I know these bullet points will never survive, do you know what I mean? So yeah. I'll work the shape of the story, so that'll be an outline. And then I think it does something to, as I was saying, my sort of subconscious, really. I think it makes me feel much more relaxed in my process. So I know, I know I've got that. As a worst case mm. scenario, I've got that. You know what I mean? You can I, always... I, know I can. I know I can make it better. Yeah. But at least I've got that. So and then and 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 I keep on doing that until I'm really happy with that outline. And again, a bit like the first bit where you have to write something down, then I have to start writing that first scene. And that's my process. And that'll be the same whatever I do. But I think, um, um, you know, kind of earlier, earlier, but I kind of when I left school, I didn't know what I wanted to do, and I did history at university. Right. And um and I I needed it because it was a subject I liked. You know, and I wanted to get away from home. Yeah. Um and um but I think something about history and then and then I, when I left um uh, university at Swansea, um I didn't know what I wanted to do and I had like a, a few years of just doing nothing or being on a dole or doing shit jobs, you know, all sorts, you know. Yeah. Um and and eventually I I, I worked for a guy called Roy Ellis of Castle Cork. I ran the. I was in the car park at Castle Cork, right? Okay. And he said, "Oh, you should become a journalist." So I could talk about stories all the time. Um, and he set me up the work experience on the Glamorgan Gazette, and I, I loved it. Honestly, I really loved it. And eventually, then I went to um, Sheffield to study like in journalism. There's like one big, big qualification called NCTJ. And, okay. Uh, I went away and did that for a year um, when I was when I was a little bit older, which which was I had a, had a whale of a time. Um, but that, but that, the history degree and the journalism, they're both about selecting narratives, and I think they really helped me then to realise 
that it's up to me to select that narrative and and to kind of you know put it down on paper mm. you know um so yeah i think I think then when it comes to adaptations, it's the same sort of thing. Um, I've done plenty, quite a few adaptations. And talking to you this morning, it kind of makes you think about what you have done. I've done yeah. quite a few adaptations. And um, that is a selective narrative um, uh, process as well. As well, you know, just as much as an original idea, I think, you know? Is that more about research than, say, your orig- original work, if we can call it that? Because you've got, kind of, you've got the source text, but then I suppose you've got to do reading around the source text as well. well. It's, it's, I think it's just a different. I, I think it's just a different bite, to, to be honest, Karen. Um, yeah, they say you have got that source text, but it all depends what the rights are as well. You know what I mean? Mm. Are you? I think only once I felt obliged, to, well obliged or legally obliged. Uh, to stay quite close to the source text, which was the Magic Toy Shop, the Angela Carter, oh, okay. um, uh, did, did an adaptation at the stage. Everything else I, I've done, um, I've had a fair degree of flexibility around. So, you know, you you there tends to be a spine of a book or a spine of a film or whatever. Do you know what I mean? Which you you are going to yeah. stick to. But I think it's the it's the uh, expanding that narrative around it, which you, you can which you can have fun with. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. um, I did Metamorphosis for Radio Four, which was which we kind of messed about with, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, you know, uh, he, you know, he leaves, he leaves the his family, take him out, you know, on a day out as as a uh, uh, as as the kind of uh, monster, if you like, you know, uh, into a shopping mall. Um, uh, and uh, I did an adaptation of Ryan Gold's uh, with Live Art Show. We did that as a kind of um, an hour long uh, electro uh, electro opera. Um, cool. Yeah. Um, so so I, I, yeah, other things have adapted, but you're going to be allowed to you know due to the rights to, to, to change it quite a bit. Do you do you talk to the writer of the original material? Do you meet them? No, I never have. No, no. I think well. Um, a lot of time they're dead. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Um, that's uh, you know that's the, the problem number one, definitely. You know, um, I don't think I've I, I, the only things I've adapted at the moment are some some books, but they're for TV, and those writers are still alive, right. and I haven't met them yet. But uh, yeah, I think that they they be commissioned. A couple have been commissioned, but first episodes but not they haven't been sort of green oh, okay. you know what I mean we don't yeah. know if they've definitely gone ahead and I think if they were definitely gone ahead then I think I probably would meet the writers and get their kind of yeah. take, take on that world you know you mentioned briefly about live art show um can you talk a little bit about um what the company does and like how, how you feel about making your own work and was that a necessity rather than a choice? Um, a bit of both, I think. Okay, right? So Live Art Show is is the, the kind of core members, myself, uh, Marty Constantine, who's a director, and Harry Blake, who's a composer. Um, and we and then there's a kind of uh, a collective of artists, you know? Um, mm. um, and basically, the, the company makes... Uh, uh, theatre with music, whatever that means, but it always contains music, you know. 
um, and our first show. And, uh, well, necessity, I suppose so. I think what really helped um, early-ish on in um, my writing career is that um, uh, we were able to access Arts Council grants, you know, and, yeah. about, you know, um, and I, I firmly believe one of the, you know, the one of the biggest barriers to um, sustaining a career is money, you know. Um, and at that point, it was really useful to to access Arts Council Wales and Arts Council England grants for kind of um, projects. But the first one we did, we didn't have any grant at all. We did it kind of um, just through the generosity right. of you know um, of of the people we kind of worked with. And that was a show called Manga Sister at the Yard, which which went down really well. Um, uh, but then, you know, kind of, we could sort of pr- progress from there. Um, and we did um, Rheingold at the Yard. We did The Future for Beginners um, which yeah. with the Wales Millennium Centre, which we, we took to Edinburgh. Um, but, yeah, a bit of both. I mean, necessity rather than... than, than cho- but, but, you know, ultimately, it's a choice. You know what I mean? You know, I, you mm. know, I, 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 I could have given up and worked in... Tesco's, I suppose, you know, but um, I was determined at a certain point to um, do everything I could to make a sustainable career. And, you know, to be to be fair, those Arts Council grants, um, they really helped, you know, um, to, to, mm. to, to keep me writing, to be honest. Uh, and did you take on roles during that period, um, other than being a writer, that maybe you weren't 100%? Comfortable with? Uh, um, well, I would say I was a so I was a journalist at um, like the Western Mail, but I was on the like the Valley right. thing, so based in Cardiff most of the time, um, but towards the end anyway. And then when plays started getting commissioned, right? So I was kind of earning income from kind of playwriting, and then I sort of I, I kind of went sort of part time, uh, and then eventually I gave up Western Mail, right? And decided right, it's kind of big big step. Right, yeah. but I then did sort of freelance work for magazines. So, uh, and I got it down to one magazine, right, um, uh, which is called the Health Service Journal, right? Okay. Uh, it's a, um, a weekly uh, magazine for uh, um, uh, professional clinicians. Um, and uh, it's a world I know nothing about. But I quite enjoyed going to the office, right? But yeah. I did it. I did it so infrequently in the end, right? It was painful, right? <laughs> I had a lovely boss, right? A guy called Andrew Snowball, right? Who, like, kept on employing me. And I don't know why, Andrew. I, honestly, he, just, he was just a nice fella. I think he felt sorry for mm. me. I spent so long faffing about not knowing what I was doing yeah. that, I, I honestly, and every day I was there, I was kind of, it was kind of on the edge that I was kind of frightened I'd be caught out. It was a bit like that feeling of being in the, the theatre world that years ago, you know, I mean, that, that like sort of six years before, yeah. uh, being an imposter. So I was like being an imposter, being a journalist. Yeah. There. I was, I was shit at it, honestly. I was on, honestly, terrible at it. But so I did it so infrequently, I didn't know what I was doing. And then in the end, I had to give that up, you know what I mean? It was, mm. it just, it got, it got too much, you know. So I did do other work. I did, I remember doing a shift on The Guardian, where it was The Observer. Okay. two days and I thought I thought ah oh, this is going to be you know and it was really well paid I thought oh if I can just like do a couple of these shifts every now and again it'll kind of pay for my lifestyle and I can continue to write um it was the most horrible experience I've oh, ever had on it was awful it was brutal the people well well there wasn't all people um there were some people there who were like these you know when people one thing I hate is when people play at the stereotypes 
Yeah. Um, and there was um, some journalists there who were really playing up to that hard-nosed, swearing, drinking kind of, you know, um, just being rude to people mm. stereotype. And yeah, I did one. I think did one shift and then went back. Anyway, well, 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 well it was paid. So I don't know. You 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 survived, don't you? Yeah. Mm. yeah. I'm gonna move on slightly. Uh, I'd like to talk about your play, uh, Good Night Out in the Valleys. Um, so, can you talk a little about the piece and the community that you wanted to engage with, really? Um, it was all about the community, Kyron, I think, to be honest. Yeah, of course, it was the first play for National Fair Wales, and like. Yeah. Um, um, Speaking of John McGrath at the time, you know, they kind of, he had a vision to, to build up, you know, we hadn't had a national theatre before, you know, mm-hmm. um, so many people were unaware that we had a national theatre and it was about building those roots, you know, it was about, so we spent a really long R&D process kind of um, embedded in different communities, so it was on in sort of five different working men's halls these big old halls throughout South Wales, um, and we spent time in each of them, kind of embedded in the community, and uh, rehearsals were totally open. Um, yes. So, you know, we had, um, I remember in uh, Blangaru, we had, like, we turn up regularly, this gang of um, knitting grannies, and they sort of sit there and kind of just watch, watch the rehearsals, you know? And it was brilliant, and we made a commitment to, it wasn't a verbatim play, but we made a commitment to those communities that, the stories that come in, come out of of their kind of their kind of modern world is what we, we kind of reflect in mm. the play, you know. Um, and it, that was just so important. It was a play for those communities, and it was a play to kind of cement um, national theatre Wales in, in, and kind of embed it into those communities. And it, and it, it really did that at the time, honestly. Um, it, it was, you know. It, it went down a storm with those communities and it, and it got really well received with the national press as well, which helped. Um, I think I think the bit in the middle, I think sometimes in Wales, I think, I think we want sometimes for our theatre to reflect how sophisticated we are and clever we are, right? right. And the first thing we did with that play first thing you saw was a man in a chicken outfit you know um and we kind of went against that kind of this wasn't a play for the theater professionals of wales this was a play for those communities you know and um that and that's what we kind of um that's who we served you know and i think we served it really well um so it was a very important play for me and of course to be to write that first piece for um, National Theatre Wales, you know, was, was, um, was, yeah. a, was a big deal for me. Yeah. Was it difficult to go into the process without an agenda of this is what I want to write, this is the play I want to write, rather than just listening to people and seeing what happened, really? Yeah, it is. I, I, it is you know what I mean? And again, it's about that selective narrative, you know, and you know, kind of. You know, we heard, you know, hundreds of stories, do you know what I mean? And that nature of, of, of how people felt, you know, um, whether they felt kind of their communities have been neglected or, you know, think these places have been I kind of left a rot of it, you know? Um, yeah. So, yeah, it is tricky, Kyron, you know what I mean? And like, with, you know, you kind of, you know, you kind of like, 
watching now kind of Ten years now, probably. Yeah, this thing it is ten years. Do you know what I mean? That that you think. Um, I think yeah, the anniversary was either this year or last year. Um, uh, yeah, I probably did go in with um, thoughts. You know, kind of that selective mm. narrative of my own. But I, I was open as I could be, honestly. Yeah. And the, we we and we spent a long time doing it as well, which I think helps. You know. Um, so you know, you meet so many people, so many genuine people that you can't help but be affected by some of their stories, you know? So, yeah, I, I don't know. It's very difficult to self-analyse that kind yeah. of thing. You know? Yeah, I, I understand that. And I suppose you build a relationship with people and yeah. they get to trust you and you get to trust them. So, like, yeah. it, it's a process. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to move on to talk about another of your plays called Sugar Baby. Um, which is a one-person play which centres along the life of a small-time drug dealer in Cardiff. So, I'm interested in terms of the form, really. What are the challenges of working a one-person play? Um, and what tips would you give to me? Because I find that medium a bit overwhelming, because you've got this one... Uh, I mean, a monologue for like five, ten minutes is manageable, but I, the idea of doing that over for length play, I find that quite overwhelming. I wouldn't know where to start, really. Uh, <laughs> but when I, when I, th- I, I th- honestly think, Karen, kind of that you've got to think about it like any other play. Do you know what I mean? It has to have a structure, you know? You can't be, it, it, it has to have a structure, it has to have a narrative, you know? Um, and. Sugar Baby and I, 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 quite a good example is I, I, I wrote a play called For All I Care for National Theatre Wales okay. in the NHS season um, and I kind of knew I, again I had that kernel of a thought well, I'd, read, I'd read a newspaper article about a girl who um, uh, with mental health issues who was in a secure unit but because her mental health issues weren't um, uh, regarded as serious enough, she wasn't in a kind of, they're, they're in categories A, B and C or whatever, yeah. do you know what I mean? She was in the wrong category. And in the end, um, they, um, uh, they, they took the kind of uh, health authority to court to say, um, look, if we let this girl go, she's going to kill herself, right? So where, it's all, mm. you know, what, what is the responsibility, you know what I mean? You know, uh, anyway, so that was, I, 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 I thought I found that all like very interesting, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. And again, that process then started researching around that, who these characters might be. Um, I think the thing about a monologue is to think of it not as a monologue, not to get too obsessed about being one actor. It's still yeah. a story, right? And I think it, I think if you start from the viewpoint or the starting point that there's only one actor, or it's a monologue, it's only going to you know it's it, it, we're going to see that one voice on stage. We can see loads of voices on stage. Do you know what I mean? Just trust the actor that we can see loads of voices. And in For All I Care, I kind of knew that there was two very different views of this world. So the play is, is split up really into um, these two characters, um, right. a, a, a view of the world, and they take on this one story, you know? Um, and I think then it, you get different perspectives on the same events, you know? Which I think is quite okay. a nice technique. Um, yeah. And of course, they have totally different speech patterns, 
they have totally different ways of of of, uh, of, of addressing situations of, of what they do what they action so i think don't get too obsessed about it being forget it's one actor do you know what i mean and if you are somebody like me who, who plans out plays who starts with a kind of um i, I think i think pretend that it's not you know that there's four actors in it you know why not you know what i mean pretend there's four yeah. actors in it and 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 plan it in that way then find out how you do that with one actor but uh, and that's what I did with For All I Care. And I thought, I, okay, there's, there's two people in this play. This is this is a two-hander, and you could do it as a two-hander. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And you know, uh, as it, you know, as it as it came about, it, it, it was a monologue. But yeah, I don't know if that's helpful, Kyron. That's think, really think interesting. Think, yeah, you know, think of it as something else. I think it, it is psychological. Maybe uh, I will try that. I will let you know how yeah. that works. Um. And your work centers a lot around voices and characters which have been marginalised, particularly like working class voices. Do you think we need to do more as a theatre industry in Wales to ensure that those voices are heard more? I definitely do. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As I've said before, I think, I think, and I think it's money, which is a massive barrier. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, and increasingly, and I think it's in my, one of my fears about this kind of lockdown is that people, those opportunities have become less for people to engage. Um, you know, with, with people who, who who haven't got you know basically rich parents who can say, oh yeah, you know, go go and work for. Complicity for a year, and, do you know what I mean? And yeah. kind of learn, learn the trade and make all those connections. And so, you know, and, and a lot of it is about making those connections. You know what I mean? It's, mm. it, 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 you know, um, and that's not a that's not a cynical view. That that's a reality. Do you know what I mean? You work with people that you connect with, um, and but you've got to make that connection in the first place. So um, yeah, I see. You know, I kind of working class is a funny funny phrase. Mm. Um, yeah. People who have never had access or opportunity to 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 explore the theatre, I, I think, yeah, I think they, those opportunities need to be increased, definitely. Um, how you go about that, uh, God, God knows, I suppose it's up to the, the theatre company. But yeah, that is my fear, that the theatre will become an even more... Uh, you know, it's a middle. It's 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 another middle class sport as it is, yeah. and, and and the problem is is that you know those voices are just then reflecting back the same sort of things, and we're not seeing a a diverse. The more diverse we will be seen on our stage, um, the better it will be. It'll better it will be for everybody, you know. And it and it doesn't matter what what what, what form that um, no and, and, and what. Even if it's an organisation, do you know what I mean? The more diversity you have, yeah. you know, and I think I'm looking at theatre as a whole organisation, the more diversity you have, the stronger it will be because the more ideas you have, the more different viewpoints you have, you know, and the, I, I think the yeah. better it will be. So, yeah, I think I think working class voices is, is one of those things, you know, and we don't see enough of it. And, you know, sometimes then, you know, we're seeing, I think, um, on stage and on TV, um, working class characters that seem a little bit more two dimensional, to be honest. And a lot of the time, they just did, they just end up uh, as angry, angry characters on screen. You know, 
Is, um, is that because they doesn't ring true, yeah? Is that because they're written by middle-class writers, do you think? <laughs> yeah, I think that's what's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, is it about gatekeepers engaging with communities and community organisations? Is it about outreach entirely, do you think? Um... I honestly, Karen, I don't know. I think that's got to be part of it, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, you know, um, yeah, if I was, a, you know, head of an organisation, I'm sure there's plenty of, of other other organisations and ways in to, to engage people. And people people like stories, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's you know, um, there's enough people watching Netflix to, to you mm. know, or Amazon Prime to know that people love stories, you know? Um, and, you know, I think, you know, we're a nation of storytellers, you know, and I think, um, you know, we should, we should harness that. I mean, there's organisations like Mass and Mass and Values Kids who are doing yeah. amazing work. Amazing, but, absolutely amazing, yeah. But how does that translate into careers in the arts and, and that's the next yeah. step? on libretti slightly earlier but I want to talk about it in a bit more detail. You've written libretti for the Welsh National Opera and the Yard in London. I want to talk about process again. So how did these processes work? Well I suppose the with Live Archers it's a bit different because it's our own company. Um, so we had kind of full reign at the yard um, to do what we wanted to do. You know what I mean? So I worked with Harry, the composer there, um, you know, kind of hand in glove, really, you know? Um, and uh, he'd be totally aware of what, um, if it's an adaptation or an original, um, original piece, he'd be totally aware of what that, what that narrative is from the early, early on. So I think musical ideas, you know, um, and maybe um, what sort of genre it is. You know, he'd be, he'd be kind of working on that quite early on, you know. Um, I suppose the difference, the very practical difference, of course, is that at the, you kind of get an earlier deadline, you know, as a writer. You know, you. Um, I'm sure there are processes where where you can carry on, and you do carry on to an extent, kind of altering things. But at some point, you've got to say this is what the the, the, the libretto is, and you know, because it needs set the music. You know, um, so that's quite an interesting process about like being totally organised to to um, get that libretto in on time. Um, the WNO um, projects, um, they they. They tended the ones I, 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 I've done with um, WNO tend to be a little different because they, I think I'm rightly on, they have been companion pieces to main stage productions. 
Okay. So there is there is certain guidance there from WNO about what the kind of themes um, might be for those sort of companion pieces. Um, which again, you know, I don't mind. You know, um, I'm very aware that my ideas are usually not the best one in the room, um, and I'm quite happy to accept other ones. So you know what I mean? But WNO, you you, yeah. you do get like like a little bit more um, guidance perhaps on what what this what this might be and what the parameters of um, a number of singers, you know, kind of amazing singers, mm. you know what I mean? Um, whether or not there's a chorus, etc. you know. But again, it's a, basically the same sort of process that, you know, you work, I worked with a composer called Richard Barnard a lot um, with WNO, you know, who's, who's absolutely brilliant. And I think, again, it's about connecting, you know, and being very open, being very open to what um, the opportunities for music that the, the libretto throws up. And is it about that relationship with the composer as well? Yeah, definitely. Do you know, you know, you've, 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 you know, you've got to, you kind of, kind of get on and kind of inspire each other, really. You know, um, yeah. and be open to that. You know, um, you know, that's. I think it's, it, yeah, no, it's a, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing, Kyra. Honestly, <laughs> it is, it is a beautiful that that you know, words and music, it is yeah. a beautiful thing, like you know. If you, if you can do it, you know, and it's something like I'm not, um, yeah, God, I'm not musical at all. Do you know what I mean? I don't right. play, you know, I don't play any instruments, you know, I can't, I can't read music, you know, um, but, you know, so that, so as a, as a writer, it's kind of a bit of a joy that, that you know, you kind of, um, people think you are musical, do you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, oh, you know, you're in an opera, you know, oh, did you write the music for that? But no, of course I did, you know? So, yeah, yeah, you got, you, I think, yeah. It's kind of um, it's a nice process. Do, do you have any say in how it kind of sounds? Can you give an opinion on what the composer has done, or is it kind of this is your job and this is a composer's job kind of thing? Um, I, but you do, but because I, because of the composers I've worked with, I've kind of really got on with, and I feel as though you can say. And you know the the good ones will ask you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. What do you think about this? You know what you know. What do you think about you know? And then you have to you have to kind of um, yeah you have to respond. You know what I mean? It, it's it's kind of it's your responsibility to respond. You know, um, but yeah, it's kind of um, like I always remember kind of working for um, WNO and um, we were doing uh, you know one of this kind of one of those sort of pinch me kind of moments. Yeah. Um, it's like, oh God, I remember kind of laughing internally, trying to look all kind of serious. We were auditioning singers. And, yeah. I, you know, I, that's all I could say was whether I thought they were good or not. I had no technical <laughs> parameters whatsoever. Yeah, 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 he's great. Yeah, yeah, really good. But I suppose that I did, I did learn actually whether or not they fitted the character. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I kind of looked yeah. out for that more. So then I got slightly less obsessed about what their singing qualities were and about whether or not they kind of fitted the, the, the you know, same, you know, kind of all, all kind of yeah. things where you can really see them in that role, you know, so, yeah, but... That's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about your film, The Left Behind, uh, which won the BAFTA for their single drama in... 2020. Why did you decide to write it, first of all? Um, I I was approached by BBC Studios, by a producer called Aisha Raphael, who'd seen um, Sugar Baby right. in Edinburgh and loved it. 
Um, so she asked me for a meeting in, along uh, with her kind of, uh, with uh, a guy called uh, uh, Marco, who uh, kind of works on all the projects with her. Um, and anyway, we, we had a meeting in London and we talked about, about three or four different ideas that they had, right? Yeah. So one of, one of those ideas was basically around somebody who gets influenced by the far right. And that was it. You know what I mean? You know, okay. so they asked me, um, and I said, oh, I, that's an interesting world. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and it was, it was a lot of it, you know, kind of a lot of it in the news. So it was, it was kind of on my radar at the time. Um, and I said, well, kind of, that's a really interesting subject. I think there's, you know, um, especially in kind of um, uh, poorer working class areas of, of Wales. Um, I've kind of, I've noticed it was kind of, on the rise of it, you know, and there were these little pockets, these little incidents, you know, yeah. um, uh, uh, going on. Um, so they, they commissioned a, a document from me and they said, well, I'll go see, you know, make a story up and see, see where it goes, you know? So I did and um, they liked it and they went through that then, that process. We went through a long process then of um, different treatments um, and they put a document together and took it to BBC Three um, and um, I think it was easy because it was a single film. The commissioner of BBC Three uh, loved it and and commissioned it and greenlit it in in the same meeting. Wow! Um, which you know, so I had a phone call saying, "Yeah, it's going to go ahead. We're going to film it next year." <laughs> you wow. know, um, wow. this, this, this is kind of happening. So then we did a we did a we did a lot of research. I kind of spoke to a lot of. Um, Communities in Cardiff, uh, food banks, um, went up to the Dusty Forge in Ely, which is now a sort of uh, community hub, met a lot of people there, um, met the Muslim Council from Wales, um, I met the guy, oh, a really interesting guy from the uh, organisation that de radicalises um, uh, right. people. Um, so he was really useful. Anyway, so I did a lot of research and then, you know, kind of at the same time, kind of holding down the story and then and then wrote the script. Um, so initially, Tyrant, it wasn't technically my idea. Was it difficult to stay neutral, or did you feel that you had to stay neutral? On the no, um, the intention, which I think we carried out, is to have a character whose actions you did not, you couldn't agree with, right? But you had some understanding of why he carries them out. And that was the, I remember that first, first initial meeting we had, that was one of the things we wanted. I think that was a character we hadn't seen on screen. Um, we see there was been a, there's been a few kind of right wing kind of characters on, on TV, but they all tend to be sort of just sort of demonized. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh God, this is a, this is an evil character and you just know by the end of the film, he's going to do something bad. Yeah. You know? So, we wanted to dig a little bit deeper into this person's character and the influences and the pressures um, on them. So, yeah, that, I think I think that was always in my mind. Um, and it's it's a strange thing then to write a script where you kind of like the guy, <laughs> you kind of like the guy, but I know in the back of my mind at the end he's 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 going to do something terrible. Do you know what I mean? Something unforgivable. You know so. Yeah, that was the challenge, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, but the but it just spurred on a bit, and it, 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 right, scene by scene, mm. by thinking, okay, um, 
don't demonize this guy, you know? Could you get into his head and, and like, understand him and, like, justify think, everything? Well, justify is, I think justify is too strong a word, right. you know what I mean? I think, that's the one, I think that's the one word I've got to kind of be careful about, you know what I mean? I did a lot of interviews all the time about that, you know, I think, you know, kind of, I think the more of a level of understanding is probably closer it, you know? But then, you know... You know, it's kind of it's still, you know what I mean. Once you see these kind of incidents, you know, and they're still mm. they're still occurring, you know, now, you know what I mean. You think, what the, you know, why, you know, how how has it come to that, you know, with somebody, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I think to to write the character, you've got a certain understanding, of course, you know. It was a really powerful piece. I I really I really enjoy it, and I think it's such an important topic. That is. No. Has has become perhaps more prevalent in the last few years since Brexit, especially, and yeah. it's not really talked about that much. I don't think in, in drama at least. Um. So you're excitingly, we took the theatre turning. You're currently working with Theatre Cloyd on your play for Grace of You Go I. Can you tell me a little bit about the play? Hey. Uh, yeah, well, I've got to say, first of all, it's uh, it's amazing to be, you know what I mean, back in a theatre, you know? So, mm. so they've, they've, um, uh, it's going to be a socially distanced audience. I'll tell you the play now, but it's a right. socially distanced audience, you know what I mean? Um, so they've, they've worked really hard to kind of get this on. So they'll be on in person for about two weeks, and then I think they're going to capture it. They're going to sort of do a film of it, and then... It'll be online then for for, for further two weeks. But it's about a guy. It's about a guy uh, who suffers from a condition called depersonalization, and he believes that he's in a film. Uh, that he that, that everything around him is uh, a film set, and right. um, he kind of doesn't have uh, a lot going on for him. And and one night he goes to a film club night. Um, for people with mental health issues. And the film that's shown is uh, I Hired a Contract Killer by Aki Kurismaki, a Finnish film. And um, he, uh, in the film, the hero uh, puts out a, a contract on himself and then regrets it and um, tries to call off the contract. And our character, our main character, thinks this is a brilliant idea and puts out a hit on himself. Um, and, well, I can't tell you. Of course, then things go wrong. You know what I mean? But you know, it's kind of uh, so it's uh, it, it is, and I wrote it before you know lockdown. It is right. about how it's about how we fit into society, it's about isolation, it's about people who, who feel as though they don't have a place in society. Um, yeah, so uh, and it's a three hander. Um, uh, so yeah, it's it, it's a bit of you know it's uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Do you think it's become any more relevant considering that we have all been kind of isolated for the last eighteen months? Oh, totally. You know, I think so. <laughs> honestly, you know, honestly, you know, um, it, you know, it, it is about that feeling of you know kind of uh, being unsure about the world. You know, um, all three of the characters. I, I kind of straight. I, I think we all are 
a lot of the time trying to find where we fit in society yeah. and whether you know kind of not being crude about it whether we're going up or we're going down yeah <laughs> staying the same you know um so yeah it's kind of uh, uh you know and hopefully there's a, there's again you know there's a I like I like things with a strong narrative, you know. So you know, hopefully they, you know, that comes across in it as well. I think yeah, we have for audiences to see that. I mean, yeah. what what kind of work are you hoping to see and to make in this period after coronavirus? What what do you think we're gonna to see? Do you think it's going to be kind of a really good period for theatre after the time that we, we haven't had any, really. I hope so, Kyron, because I, I do know, and I think, I, you know, I think it's about the tapping into the... And I, th- I think theatre taps into the kind of the emotions of a country, do you know what I mean? Mm. And about, about how a society has, has been feeling. And I think that has changed a, a lot. We've gone through a lot of emotions a lot of kind of underlying kind of uh, of kind of anxieties or hopes or or whatever it is in the last year. Do you know what I mean? And now we feel as though we're coming out of it. You know, and it'll be interesting to see in six months' time. Interesting to see how we think about it. Because as I say, like I still can't believe last summer we felt like we did. You know, yeah. I think in six months' time, I think, and it's a bit like um, being stressed all the time, isn't it? Mm. Um, or an anxiety all the time. You don't quite know it until afterwards, or until you kind of reflect mm. on it. And I think hopefully theatre will be a reflection on that. And I hope all of it is not doom and gloom. You know. Um, I agree. I... You know, it's it's sort of yeah. So you know, I think you can write. I think you can write films, TV shows, theatre pieces. Which are kind of more nuanced. There's, there's kind of there's hope in mm. you know, you know. It is that classic thing that even even in the worst of circumstances, people people laugh. You know, um, but there's still that darkness there. You know, so I don't. You know, I th- I'm hoping that theatre will reflect kind of. I'm sure it will actually. Um, what we've kind of gone through without being really on the nose about it. Is that thing, isn't it, of whether we acknowledge it, that this thing has happened or we carry on like we were in 2019? I think we've got to acknowledge what we've been through. But yep. how do we do that in a nuanced way, which, as you say, isn't on the nose? And what yep. metaphor can we use as playwrights yep. to look at that time and put it into our work? Yeah, it's about that feeling, isn't it? It's about, yeah. it's about that kind of, you know... It's, uh, yeah, it's about that overall feeling. You know, and I kind of watched um, <laughs> watched a TV program the other night. And, well, you know, what we don't need is that's like, um, it's going to be brushed off. So you could see, mm. you could see this, you know, kind of thing, oh, we need to acknowledge uh, that we've been a global pandemic. And I think there was one line in there and said, you know, some character said, oh, what a year it's been. But anyway, so we don't need, you know, you know it's, it's not about that. You know what I think it's, I think there's a, there's, there's um, something to do with Yeah, definitely. Okay, the last thing I'm going to ask you is, um, what advice would you give to someone who's just starting out in the industry, especially considering what we've been through in terms of COVID? It, it's t- yeah, it's tough, Kevin. Honestly, you know what I mean. It's kind of my own advice is is to, to seek out every opportunity you can. You know, 
um, uh, to keep plugging away, keep on writing, to keep on writing different projects. You know, don't get stuck on the one project. Um, put it in, literally, you know, do the, do the, you know, uh, figuratively, you know, put it, put it in a drawer. You know what I mean? Um, and you know, if you if you have a great idea, that will come out. It might come out in a different form. You know, move on to something else. I say. Yeah. Um, Sign up for everything you can. Do you know what I mean? Be on the mailing list of of every every theatre or organisation that has a mailing list. You know, um, uh, so yeah, I think it's I think it's about giving yourself the best chance of, of getting some kind of foothold. Um, and you know, kind of um, a lot of those connections, you know, have been difficult to make over the last year. But um, this, you know, this there's lots of different ways of making those connections. You know, um, so yeah. Uh, keep plugging away. Thank you, Alan. It's been tough talking to you. Thank you for your time. Oh, thank you, Kyron. Honestly, yeah, yeah. I could have gone on, I could, you know, <laughs> on even longer, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and thank you, thank you for listening to this episode of In Lockdown With. I will be back for the next episode with an interview with Alice Eklund, who's an emerging based theatre director. So until then it's bye for me and bye for Alan. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of In Lockdown With. The podcast is written, produced and curated by me, Kieran Fitzgerald. Thank you to all my guests for taking the time to appear on the show. If you enjoyed this episode of In Lockdown With, please consider liking or subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And I'll see you next time for another interview.